0: This morning, uh, we're going to be wrapping up our study of the letters of John, or 2nd, 3rd John, which are found near the end of the New Testament, end of the Bible, and um, we've been learning as we've gone through these letters how to become more effective as witnesses in the world, witnesses for Jesus in the world. Last week, Tracy Leach uh, helped us see how that we need to choose our friends carefully. Hopefully, uh, you learned some good things. I was excited for him to be able to share the word last week while we were going to the Eastern Christian Conference. You know, our friends that we choose can either make us stronger or weaker. They can influence our lives, and particularly our faith and our witness for Christ. And they may uh, lead us closer to Christ, they're the right friends, or they may lead us away from Christ. So uh, we need to be careful in choosing our friends. Now, we need to have friends also in the world we're not yet Christians, so that through us, through uh, our example, through our words, through our lives, they can discover Christ and what he can do for them. We have to be careful that we're strong enough that they not pull us away from Christ. And so there's there's a really a important thing going on there. Uh, we're going to the last lesson today from 3 John, and uh, so if you have a Bible, you may want to start turning uh, and get ready for that. But let's pray together as we open the word together. Father, I thank you that you have been so careful, so diligent in in bringing this revelation to us. Uh, You have revealed yourself. You've revealed your plan. uh, You've revealed what you've done through Jesus, your son. And today, we want to be able to understand better how we fit into that and how we as witnesses in the world can be stronger and more effective. And, and we pray that as we look at the example of some people today, uh, that we will be able to choose wisely and, and discern what it is you want us to learn today. Be with each of us as we open our hearts and minds to you, Father, and may we all learn from you today uh, as we open the word together through Christ. Amen. I've always marveled at the number of people that God has mentioned by name in the Bible. I don't know how many that is. It'd have to be several thousand, I'm sure. In the Old Testament, you find a long list of names, the genealogies, you know, generation after generation, leading up from Adam all the way through uh, to maybe Noah or to Abraham. And then eventually you come into Matthew and to Luke, the Gospels, who both share the genealogy of Jesus, one following lineage back through his mother, Mary, and one following back through his stepfather, Joseph, so that we could see that God's been working a plan for so many generations from the beginning until Jesus' appearance on earth. Now, the whole last chapter of Romans, Romans 16, has a bunch of names in it, and I thought about reading that, but that'd take about 10 minutes and be boring and everything else because he's a bunch of weird names, Tryphena and Tryphosa and and just different names that we're not used to. But why are all these different names in there? Uh, no doubt, Paul had a lot of friends, and he's naming them. No doubt, John and the other apostles had a lot of friends, and we're going to be looking at the names of three individuals today. Uh, We saw in John's letters the personal involvement he has with people. We saw in the first letter, you know, he knows very much what's going on in that congregation that he writes to and others like it. He sees the the threat of, of heresy called Gnosticism, and he wants to make sure that doesn't gain any ground. The churches are, are aware of that. We see in the second letter he writes to another congregation, but it meets in the home of the elect lady, you know, and he talks about her and knows the situation. there. And this third letter is written to an individual, to a guy named Gaius. And I was tempted to call this message today from Third John, the tale of three men. <laughs> but it's really not about them. It's about what we can learn and how we can uh, learn from their characteristics, from their lifestyles, from their path that they chose. Which path we need to choose? Three characters mentioned by the Apostle John. So we have all these names, and my question was, why are so many individuals' names even included? You know, why? Why is God so careful about that? Why does it matter? And the only answer I came up with is, they count. <laughs> they matter. Each person in each generation matters. And God is so aware of that. God is so attuned to each one of us, to every individual. He knows us by name. The Bible goes on and says, you know, he knows how many hairs are on our heads, which in some of our cases is disappearing very rapidly. A fewer number. But he keeps track. He knows us. He knows all of us so well. It's like, wow, why is he worried about this guy in this generation? Name this. this It's an unusual name. And why is it recorded for us in the Bible? It's because we all matter. And so there are three men here in Third John. Their names are Gaius, Diotrephes, and Demetrius. So let's see those up there, Jerry. Would you say those names with us? Gaius, Diotrephes, Demetrius. Unusual names. Let's do it one more time. Gaius, Diotrephes, Demetrius. Okay. And these are the three we're going to look at today as we read this very short letter. It's the absolute shortest letter written in the Bible, 3 John. And let's just read the first eight verses of 3 John together right now. The elder, this is John, to my dear friend Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Dear friend, I pray that you may enjoy good health and that all may go well with you, even as your soul is getting along well. It gave me great joy to have some brothers come and tell about your faithfulness to the truth and how you continue to walk in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Dear friend, you are faithful in what you are doing for the brothers, even though they are strangers to you. They have told the church about your love. You will do well to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. It was for the sake of the name that they went out, receiving no help from the pagans. We ought, therefore, to show hospitality to such men so that we may work together for the truth. Gaius was his close personal friend of John's. Who was he? Well, there are three other men named Gaius in the New Testament. Is he one of them, perhaps? We're not sure which of these three men John may now be writing to, if it's indeed any of them. It may be a fourth one. And he's not identified with much information besides his name. So it's difficult to know anything much about this person, except what John says. Now, the three other Gaiuses that are mentioned in the Scripture are all good guys. They're all good workers. They're all strong workers in the kingdom of God. And we know that this Gaius was of the same caliber because of what John declares about him, namely this. He says, your soul is getting along well. That's kind of an odd way to say it, but what he's saying is your soul in good shape. Your soul is is healthy. In fact, it's so healthy that I wish your physical health was as good as your spiritual health. Wouldn't it be nice if God said that about you or me? You know, we're feeling really strong and healthy, and God says, you know, your soul is even better than that. He also says that Gaius is a person who's being faithful to the truth, that he's walking in the truth on a daily basis. And this is John's euphemism for being true to the gospel of Christ in word and in deed. And Gaius had proven by his life his absolute loyalty to Christ and the gospel by which his life was marked. I would to God that that would be true of each of us, that we are walking daily in the truth. We're living in that truth. And it's evident to the people around us that this is what is driving our life. This is what informs our life of how to live. John said in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now, I don't know if Gaius was his actual spiritual son. Had he led him to the Lord? Or he's just talking about his spiritual children in these churches, you know, thinking of them in a fatherly way, in an affectionate way. But parents, can't you understand this feeling that John has? Have you ever thought about your own children, that the greatest thing you could ever hear about them is that they're walking in the Lord, that they're walking in the truth? You know, there are a lot of things that I want for my children and grandchildren, but I can't imagine anything even more important than this, that they would learn to walk in the truth and that they would live for God. That is the desire of my heart. That's what I want them. And it would please me, as it pleased John, to hear, my children are walking in the truth. There's one other quality that John points out about Gaius. He mentioned specifically that he had shown hospitality to the brothers who came, to the messengers, maybe the evangelists, the missionaries, who had shown up at their church. And Gaius was the one to reach out to them, to welcome them into the church, to welcome them even to his home, in hospitality and to learn of what God was doing and then to support them with maybe even his finances he was a man that loved to do this and and this was something that that John pulls up as a you know a sterling quality of his life you are hospitable. Not that you just keep people in your house, but you really get involved in their lives. You support what they're doing for God. You're excited to meet this person who had been a stranger to you and find out about their lives and bring them in to your home and into your church. Well, let's continue reading with verse 9 and we will discover here a different character. His name is Diotrephes. Not quite of the same caliber. I wrote to the church, John says, but Diotrephes who loves to be first will have nothing to do with us so if i come i will call attention to what he is doing gossiping maliciously about us and not satisfied with that he refuses to welcome the brothers he also stops those who want to do so and puts them out of the church dear friend do not imitate what is evil but what is good anyone who does what is good is from god anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius, here's the third guy, is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we'll talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. <laughs> Here's the names again. Each person is important. So John mentions this second character in our story, Diotrephes. Diotrephes was the presumed leader of the church where Gaius was a member. Now, we don't know if he was the preacher, if he was one of the elders, or if he was just the grandpa of a bunch of the family, and he kind of assumed leadership. You know, he's like the patriarch or the matriarch sometimes in churches where they don't have an official position, and yet they are the presumed leader of that church by what they're doing. Now, Diotrephes had kind of grabbed this for himself. And John says, this is somebody that loved to be first. Now John had written earlier to the church. He had written to the church, and Diotrephes had intercepted the letter. He had received the letter. He read it, he saw what it said encouraging them to welcome these traveling itinerant preachers and evangelists and missionaries and he didn't share the letter with anybody else because he didn't like what the letter said. So he squelched the letter. He maybe threw away the letter. And when John heard about that he writes a second letter, same intent, he sends it to Gaius who know he knows will listen and will receive it and share that with the rest of the church. Apparently, Diotrephes had begun spreading malicious rumors about John and the other missionaries who were coming to them for fellowship and support. He wasn't content just to squelch the letter, to ignore what John was saying. He went further with it and became even aggressive against them. He was so against welcoming others into the church that he stopped other members from doing so, and if they insisted on doing it, he threatened to put them out of the church. This is, this is not a very good man. <laughs> And apparently he felt threatened by John, threatened by the newcomers, and he had this telling quality: he loves to be first, which means he loved to have the preeminence. He loved to be on top. He loved to be king of the mountain, or as we might say, he liked to push his weight around. You know, I'll tell you who's in charge. I'll show you who has influence. I want things to happen the way I want them to happen. Perhaps he was the prophet or teacher of the church. Maybe he was a guy in my position in the local congregation. I don't know what position he had, really. But he used that as a tool to be on top and to be the one who was leading and, and charging and controlling what happened through that congregation. And so now when the letter arrives, he throws it away because it threatens that position and that influence. John was planning to come to this church soon if the Lord allowed him to, and he said, I'll, I'll set it straight then. <laughs> I, I'll meet with him. We'll draw attention to what he's done, and we'll stop that. And Diotrephes would have to answer for his behavior. And I wondered, when I read this, how many Diotrephes are there in churches today? I know of a few, don't you? I know of churches that have suffered for years because there's somebody that's like the, you know, the, the weight, the anchor, just kind of holding things back. You just can't do anything new. You can't do anything different. You can't bring in new people because they resist that, and they don't like that, and they want to be in charge, and they like to keep control of this, this little entity, this congregation. And so to maintain control, you can't allow outside influence. You can't allow with anybody, anybody with any authority, with any influence to come in because it, it threatens your survival as the leader of the pack. And when this happens in a church, it's like the death knell. (laughs) The church, you know, like the church can't accomplish its mission. Diotrephes has to stop. Diotrephes has to learn. You know, this is not the way you lead a church. This is not the way a church functions. This is not a way that the church can accomplish its mission in the world. And don't you know, Diotrephes himself was a pretty miserable person. (laughs) You know, when you are all consumed with yourself, you become one of the most uh, negative, miserable people around. I saw an article entitled, How to Be Miserable. (laughs) It was interesting what they said. If you want to be miserable in life, I don't know anybody that does, but if you did want to be miserable, this is what you do. Think about yourself. Talk about yourself. Expect to be appreciated. Be suspicious of others. Be jealous and envious. Be sensitive to slights, never. Forgive a criticism against you. Trust nobody but yourself. Demand agreement with your own views on everything. Sulk if people are not grateful for the service that you have rendered. And do as little for others as you possibly can. This is a good description of Diotrephes, isn't it? He thought it was about him. He thought that the church was about his influence and what he wanted. And everything in the church should please me, he thought. And so... Are there any deatrophies here today? Anybody? Anybody willing to admit, you know, that, that sounds a little bit like me sometimes. You know, I want it the way I want it. And I want things to go the way I want them to go. And I want to be the one that's influenced things the most. I want to be the one that says, this is how we will do it. And expect everybody to agree with my opinion or to my personal preference. And if that spirit is in you, even to a little degree, word of God is saying today, that doesn't belong here. That doesn't cut it here. That won't work here in this congregation. And I am so grateful as your preacher that there are not people in this church trying to be you know, Sometimes that happens in places. And it, it's, it's deadly. I'm so grateful that people here have a humble attitude, a servant's heart, and they're trying to serve the Lord together. And their opinions are strong, Their opinions are are voiced, but they do not expect their opinions to always win the day when decisions are made. Well, John introduces finally that third character to the story. His name is Demetrius. And he encourages Gaius and the believers there to imitate people like Demetrius more because Demetrius is this traveling evangelist or missionary or itinerant preacher, and he is probably the one carrying the letter to Gaius. Probably Paul says, okay, Demetrius, here's my letter. The first one, nothing happened. Here's, here's my new letter. I'm sending it to Gaius. Go directly to Gaius. Deliver the letter, and he will welcome you. Because I know he will. He, he always has. And so Demetrius comes in as the new guy, as the stranger on the block. And he comes in, and Gaius welcomes him. And the letter is delivered to the church. Demetrius, unlike Diotrephes was of noble character, a man who is well spoken of, John says, by everyone, and even by the truth itself. You know, there's, there's some kind of confirmation when a person lives in such an exemplary way that people says, truth is in that guy. Truth is in what he's speaking. Truth is in what he's doing. And John is able to commend Demetrius without any reservation. So we have three guys in our text, Gaius, Diatrophes, and Demetrius today. One was hospitable and kind. One was neither hospitable nor kind. And one was Paul's messenger who embodied the message he was sent with. Which of these characters are you and I most like? Hmm? Which one could you identify most easily with? Are you the Gaius? You're not out traveling. You're not out preaching the word, but you are a servant of God and you are welcoming to new people, welcoming to strangers, welcoming to brothers and sisters who are working for God and even supporting them any way you possibly could. Are you the diatrophies who's you know just stuck somewhere and just upset that things are changing too rapidly and I don't want this to happen, so I'm going to do everything I can to stop it. I want my opinion to win. Or you, Demetrius, who's so on fire, so much walking in the truth, that he's out doing everything he can for God, wherever God might send him. Which of these characters are you and I most like? As someone said, there are basically just two kinds of Christians. We're either spiritual or we're carnal or fleshly. We're either contributors or we're detractors. We're either workers or we're whiners we either positive or negative. We are helpers or hinderers. We are God-centered or self-centered. We are either Demetrius or Diotrephes. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being Demetrius, which we value, and 1 being Diotrephes, where are you? 2, 3, 4, 5, 6? Where would others say that you are? Where would God say that you are today. Several times I've been able to hear Tommy Oaks. Some of you know Tommy Oaks, preacher. Uh, I'm still, still doing some preaching, I think. I haven't seen him for a while. What a wonderful servant of God. What a wonderful preacher of God. And I will never forget one night, in the middle of a sermon, he said, let me tell you about somebody I've known personally all my life. He says, I grew up in Hampton, Tennessee, little tiny town, And there was this old guy in our town, and everybody knew him. He had been there as long as anybody else had ever been there. He'd been there his whole life, and now he's like 80-some years old. He's hobbled and and walking around town every day. go in and visit the shopkeepers, you know, and go through the downtown area and sit down and have his cup of coffee with his buddies and everything, and then returned home. He hadn't worked for several years, of course, and And so he had this time just to invest in people. And everybody loved this guy. He said, everybody admired this guy. This guy was the kindest soul you could possibly ever meet. He was there for you. He wanted to listen to you. You could bring any problem to him. You could discuss anything that was going on in your life with him. And he had time to be there for every person in that town. He was an amazing guy. And he says, as a boy growing up, and then as a young man, and I looked at this guy I thought, man, I wish I was him. And then I realized one day I can choose to be like him. I can become a man like him. What I want to challenge you today is what Tommy Oaks challenged us with. If you admire somebody, if you see a quality, if you see a lifestyle that you admire, you can choose to emulate that same lifestyle, that same behavior Every one of us can become a man or a woman like that. A person that others feel at ease with. A person that, that knows they will have their best interests in mind. That they'll listen to them. They'll spend time with them. And there will always be a godly person advising them in ways that God would want their life to go. Every one of us can count for something. Every one of us can have an impact for God. Not exactly the same way. We're all unique. But every one of us, can do something like that for other people. So let's kind of wrap up things in the series, wrap up things in this sermon today. I want you to just look at the title of the sermon today, What We Do Matters. And let's break that down real quickly, just as, as easily as we possibly can. What. What we can do. What we do can be almost anything. You fill in the blank. But what is tailored by who you are. How God has made you. You are unique. You have special gifts. You have special talents. You have you have uh, abilities and skills. And you have interests. And you have desires that are godly desires. And this what incorporates all of that, including your background, your experiences, your relationships with family and friends, your passion for serving others in the love of Christ. And so what you do is up to you and up to what God has made you to do. We. That's every one of us. There's nobody excluded there. It's we. It's each of us. It's you and me, personally, individually. You take away what anyone else could do, what can you do? (laughs) What can I do for the kingdom of God? What can we do? If each of us do what we can do. And then do. It's not what you think about doing, it's what you actually do. It's not what we daydream about or have good intentions about doing, but what we actually do. And so doing is actually you know rolling up our sleeves and, and getting dirty if we need to. Doing is jumping in with both feet, not holding anything back. Doing is committing our time and our energy and our blood and sweat and tears and our finances to something that is bigger than ourselves and matters. What we actually do is what matters. What we each do is what counts. What each of us can make a difference for God in this world is is what matters. No matter who we are, no matter our skills, no matter the talents that we may have. Because when we do it for God, then what we do matters. Little as much when God is in it. And God said, it is not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Isn't it? And so, what you are, what I am, what we are, if we will do that, it will matter in God's kingdom. Last Sunday, we were at the Eastern Christian Conference up in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And John Collins, the preacher of a church in uh, Altoona, Pennsylvania, a church of about a thousand people, was the president of the conference. Well, we got there a little bit late Friday night in the session where he gave kind of an opening and then then he left the stage and we didn't see John Collins. Saturday, we get up, go to the first session said, well, oh by the way, the president of the conference isn't here today. He's gone to the funeral of a very dear friend that died, and they're having his service today, and he just couldn't miss it. So he's going to miss the whole main day, Saturday of the conference. He'll be back tomorrow and be here for Sunday morning. So Sunday morning shows up and say, oh, we finally see the president of the conference. It's John Collins. Now I know what he looks like. And he got up at the very end of the service, the very end of the conference, and he told the story of why he went. The reason he felt like he had to go to that funeral and miss the conference that he had spent the last two years planning was because the individual who had died meant so much to him. And so he took some time to tell us about him. He said, I went to the preacher, uh, the service for this preacher who died at 90 years old. He had been my preacher when I was a young man. And he has meant so much to me, I couldn't imagine missing his memorial service. So this preacher had never preached to a congregation of more than 100 people, but he had served faithfully for 70 years as a preacher. And so many people's lives he had touched one by one, never a large group at any time. But he says, I would never have become a preacher if it had not been for him. And today, he said, I preach for a thousand people every Sunday. Today, it seems like there's a greater amount of influence there somehow, but I only wish that I could have half as much influence on somebody's life as this preacher had on on mine. And so he said, as a teenager, I was a very difficult teenager. I had a lot of doubts. I, I was really struggling, especially struggling with my faith, struggling with the whole relationship with the Lord. And this preacher became our preacher when I was like 12 years old and was there for the next eight or nine years. And he said... This fifty some year old preacher that showed up came to our church and took a big interest in the youth of our church, not only me but several others, and really invested a lot of time and he so he gave a few particulars of what the guy had done for him. He says he's the guy that taught me how to drive. He's the one that loaned his own car to me when I wanted to take a girl out for the first time. And he said, Borrow my car, you know, go take her out. That's an important thing for you to do. He later sold that car to John, first car that John ever owned. And when John decided to go to Bible college to become a preacher himself, his preacher helped set that up and even found ways to fund that so that it that could happen, to pay for his education. And when John and his wife decided to get married, they asked his old preacher to come back to where they were so that he could perform the ceremony. And for the past 40 years, John says, this man has been a constant source of love and encouragement for him and his family. And as I said, John only hopes that he could have some kind of influence, even half that much influence in the life of another person. I don't even know that preacher's name. It matters to God. God knows who he is. God knows what he did. But how many other people it must matter to as well to have known him, to know his influence, to know how his life had touched theirs. And your life can do the same. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be an elder, you don't have to be a Sunday school teacher, you don't have to be a traveling evangelist like Demetrius, but wherever you are, whoever you are, you can have that kind of impact, and it's important that you figure out what that impact should be and what kind of influence you should have, and to use your uniqueness, your gifts, talents, interests, all of it, that you might be a witness for Christ right where you are. Your life counts. Your life matters. And your life can have a great impact for God. So just live for him, not for yourself. All the way through this series, I've had this other scripture keep coming back to my mind and I want to share it with you before we close today. It's in Philippians 2:14 through 16. Philippians 2:14 through 16. And there it talks about the influence we can have in others' lives. And Paul puts it this way. He says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That's a pretty good description today. Then, he said, You will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then, Paul says, I will be able to boast on the day of Christ, that I did not run or labor in vain. This thing that we have been given, this one that we've been given, Jesus, is to be shared. Others need to know him. And they need to have their lives changed by him. We are witnesses in the world. Would you pray with me? Father, as we uh, come to your word again today, as we've heard your word read declared, I pray that you be with each of us, that we would make wise choices about how to live for you, and that we can make a difference for you, we can have an impact as you use us uniquely in this world. Father, if there's anybody here today that has never given their life to Christ, may they really consider that. May they realize what Jesus has done for them and the opportunity they have to have new life in Him. And those of us who are already Christians, who are children of God, may we realize the opportunities that are ours to witness for you every day, uniquely, according to who we are, because what we do matters. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.